ushers come forward and receive our morning offering as we continue to worship in that way. As, as they do that, I want to jump into the message this morning um, by saying I was listening a, a long while back to a sermon from one of my favorite pastors named John Ortberg. And John um, shared some things that have kind of stirred in my heart and settled into my soul over the last number of months and have shaped some of the message that I have to offer with you today. And it's a message I'm actually and have been actually excited to share for, for a long time now. Um, I, as we jump into it, I want to talk about a book specifically um, that was offered as a resource to really help understand God in a deeper way. Um, It's a book that every year at commencement, when students are graduating, when they're transitioning from this life phase, this season of life, into a new life phase, into a new season of life, that they're given. Students no matter if they're graduating from high school or or college or grad school or even kindergarten, because that's a a thing now, I guess. I never got to graduate from kindergarten. It just got like a gold star and said good coloring. But they graduate now, I guess. And no matter what age you're graduating from, this is the number one graduation present most often given in our world. I'm going to read just a few segments of it, and I want you to see if you can guess who the author is. It begins this way. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but... Sadly, it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you all alone. Whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. But on you will go, through the weather, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three-fourths percent guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Bucksbaum or Bigsby or Bray or Mordecai, Ali, Van Allen, O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So go on your way. Anyone know the author of this great literary work? It is, yes, Dr. Seuss, the uh, great American intellectual who did a lot of children's work. Um, I have to say this. I, I like Dr. Seuss. I, I like reading his books. Sometimes when I read them, I get funny looks. (laughs) But I read this book for us here on this warm September morning because right in our midst, God's vision is forming. You see, friends, much like the graduates that often receive this book, I believe we as a church, as a community following God together, are also embarking on a new phase of our journey. Sometime about last spring, I was spending some time just in prayer, listening to God, talking to Him, asking Him um, what was next, processing some of what I was hearing with our leadership, and I continued to hear God say this, a new season is coming for Cedar Mill. And specifically what He was telling me was this, the season of transition is over. It's been a good transition, a sweet transition, but God has something else, something more, something next for us, And if, if I was to put it into words right now, I would say that it's a season where we are going to throw our full weight and energy 
into relentlessly pursuing the mission and vision God has given us as a church. And this series for me, friends, actually formally launches the start of this new season, this new phase of our journey, this next place we're headed together. And again, at the very center of of this season, at the center of this series and of where we are headed is the mission that we will continue to focus our sights on, and that's this, becoming like Jesus and making Him known. Becoming like Jesus and making Him known. That is what everything we will do will be about. We will, we will ruthlessly and relentlessly focus our sights in on becoming like Jesus and making Him known. And our vision, friends, the picture of the kind of church we want to increasingly be to become like Jesus and make Him known as we partner with God to accomplish His mission in the world is a grace-fueled community. A community that's fueled not on our own effort or ingenuity or cleverness, but on God's grace, His love and salvation and transformation and redemption poured out into us. Grace-fueled community that's marked by some essential core qualities. A couple weeks ago, we talked about growing faith, the first of those qualities. How it's our desire to know God so intimately and deeply that trusting Him, that taking risks and facing challenges and uncertainty to follow in His footsteps would just flow out of who we are and who we're becoming. We talked about spiritual practices and how a culture of mentoring will be essential in this pursuit so that we can truly live this way together. And then last week, Pastor Matt, I thought, beautifully outlined for us a vision to be a people shaped by by radical love. Not a love that looks like the love of the world, a love that's out to get and receive and feel better, but a love that is truly a reflection of the love of God Himself. It's the love that God experiences within Himself, within the Trinity, and then offers to us as a community through His Son. And we talked about how we want that love, the Trinitarian God love to invade all of our relational practices, all the relationships in our life, and then how we live that out together here as a community in what we call community groups. And you heard the announcement earlier, we're going to be launching into a new opportunity to connect in community groups here real soon. So we have this grace-filled community marked by growing faith and radical love, and this morning I want to talk to you about the third quality that marks us, and that's this, relevant Hope that we are and are becoming a people who have been freely given so much hope in Christ that we must not, cannot, will not be held back from offering this life-transforming hope that we've found to the world. Because friends, sometimes we lose track of this, at least I do. God has always been about the whole world. And I want to remind us of this by going back to the moment when God actually launched His mission into the world. The mission that we're still a part of. The mission of becoming like Jesus and making Him known. This is Genesis chapter 12. The very first book of the Bible. One day in this chapter, out of the blue, God comes to a guy named Abraham. And Abraham uh, hears God speak and he hears God say this to him. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. And and that's not the actual literal translation of the text. 
but it's close. A more accurate sort of Bible reading might go something like this. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those... Uh, And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, and all people, listen to the scope of this thing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now one thing that Bible scholars who spend a lot of time in passages like this often discuss is the fact that grammatically, in this passage, this entire passage, there are actually only two commands Only two imperatives. The first one is go. God says, go to the land I will show you. It's going to take a lot of risk. It's going to take some faith. It's going to take a lot of trust for Abraham to do it, to go. To leave what's comfortable and secure and familiar. But God says, go. And I'll say more in a few minutes about what I believe go means for us. But first I want to talk about the other imperative. The other action word in this passage. And it's the word bless. God says to Abraham, I will bless you. But that blessing is not just for you. It's not for you to just keep and hang on to and hoard for yourself. That's not the point of this blessing. It's a blessing I want to offer you to you so that you can offer it to all peoples on earth. That all peoples on earth will receive that blessing through you, Abraham. Now this passage, this This passage I just read for us would become what's called uh, a a creedal text. A creedal text is a defining, fundamental, direction-setting passage for God's people, for for the people of Israel. This is what they were supposed to be all about. This was their mission statement, in a sense. Go bless. Go bless. What does it mean... To bless. To bless means to add life. To give life. To enhance life. To make life full and abundant the way God intended it to be. That's what it means to bless. Have you heard that language before? The full, abundant life. We'll talk about that in a bit. This being their mission, to go and bless, made a lot of sense because it was really just them as God's people reflecting God into the world. Because blessing, friends, is fundamentally who God is and what God does. In fact, the very first time we read the word bless in the Bible, we find it right in the very beginning, in the very first chapter of the whole thing. Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the author of Genesis says this, God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and then listen God blessed the Hebrew word there is barach barach it's like a lugi word lugis are blessed in Hebrew God blessed them And said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Friends, don't you just love this picture of God blessing? The very first thing he blesses is fish. 
God is so into blessing that he will bless fish, which is bad news for you Oregonian fishermen who aren't catching release. But, but it's, a, it's a huge moment, right? God says to these fish, be fruitful and increase in number. He says, when I look at the water, I just want to see fish everywhere. One, one theologian writes about this, this passage and he says it this way. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Not one of them is like another. Don't ask us why. Go ask your mother. He made so many things, I guess, so he could have some things to bless. Some things to give abundant, rich, full life to. Friends, why did God create? Why did he form the world? Is it because he was lonely? No, Pastor Matt talked last week about how he's, he's perfectly unlonely, even in himself, because he exists three in one. And so he, he did not need us for company. So why did he create? Why did he form the world? Why did he create you and me? Here's why. Because he wants to bless, to give life and enhance life and offer rich, full, satisfying, abundant life. There's this, this, this great Latin phrase that's been around for a long time in the church. The Missio Dei. The Missio Dei. It's the mission of God. And from the very beginning of creation, God has had a mission. And then he gave his mission a people. You see, he doesn't have a people that he gives a mission to. He has a mission that he gives a people to. The mission is first. The mission is primary. He has a mission that he gives a Bible to. The mission is first. The scriptures point and direct us towards the mission. So God's people are now invited to join God's mission, God's story, God's redeeming work in the world to make this place, this place where we live, blessed again the way it was when he first created it, the way it was in the garden before sin entered the world. But what we find in the Old Testament is that because of the fallenness and brokenness that's so deeply woven into humanity, God's people cannot fulfill God's mission. He says, now you're blessed to go be a blessing. So go be a blessing. And what do we find all throughout the Old Testament? What do God's people do as they seek to take this blessing they received and offer it to the world? They fail. They utterly blow it. In fact, uh, a friend of mine was pointing out a couple weeks ago as I was preaching about all the great patriarchs of faith, these, these people in the scriptures who, who lived and trusted God for such huge things. He said, but the funny thing about all those people is every single one of them, to, to a T, absolutely botched it, completely tanked at some point. You see, God's people cannot fulfill God's mission because of the fallen and brokenness in them. And so, God, in Jesus, decides to take matters into his own hands. And in Jesus, he himself comes to earth. And through his death and resurrection, frees us from the forces that keep us from experiencing the full, abundant life. He keeps, he, he, he tackles Uh, the, the powers that prevent us from experiencing His blessing that He so longs to give us. Listen to this. This is from Jesus. This is in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
You ever noticed in our world that there are forces at work trying to steal and kill and destroy people from living the blessed, rich, abundant, joy-filled life that God longs for them to have? You see it all over the place. There are forces at work, friends, trying to take creation and all of humanity down. Some of you have come face-to-face with some of those. But then Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life, blessing, and have it to the full, have it abundantly. You see, Jesus comes to continue God's mission to bless. And then before he goes back to be with the Father, after he's risen from the grave, before he goes back to heaven to be with the Father, he gathers all of his closest followers together, and he says to them, Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. But you don't go it alone. There is one that I'll send. It's the Holy Spirit of God who will be with you till the end. You see, friends, hear this. The Missio Dei has now been given a Jesus-redeemed, Holy Spirit-empowered community called the church. A people that have the hope that God's blessing project is still underway. The blessing project still is moving forward. God is still the God who longs to bless, who wants to give abundant, rich, full life. And that project advances in Jesus. See, God's community, the church, is a people that have the hope that through Jesus, God is fixing and working and redeeming and restoring and setting things back to the way they were in the garden before selfishness and sin and suffering entered the world. A people, friends, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and bless All nations. God's mission still has a people. And friends, I find it so interesting that in the New Testament, when Peter is writing to the early church about this very thing, about God's mission and their part in it, he says this, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the truth that you have. Is that what he says? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the doctrine that you believe. Always be prepared to give the reason for the belief that you have or the obedience that you have or the commitment that you've embraced or the moral living you've managed to achieve. Always be ready to tell people, man, this is why I am such a better person than you. Always be prepared to explain your Christian smugness to the world because they'll ask about it. Is that what this passage says? It says, no, it says, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. So interesting that he chooses the word hope. Friends, he chooses hope because the thing he knows that will stick out to the people in our world is hope. Because that's what all of us long for. That's what all of us need. That's what all of us would wither and die without this hope that God is still at work, that things can be the way that our minds and hearts and souls down to the very fiber of our creation tell us that they should be. Everyone knows that this world is broken. Everyone senses it should be a different way. And what we cry out for, even when we don't know it, is the hope that God's still at work and that things will be made right once again. Friends, in Christ we have that hope. And if we'll live it, people the scriptures say we'll be curious. 
One author I read this week said, said this. He was talking about the world and he was talking to the church and about how we go out into the world and talk to people in the world. He says, he says this about the world. We're not called to judge it. We're not going to tell it to shape up. We're not going to save it. God forbid. We're the savees, not the saviors. We're not going to claim it. We're not going to win it. We're not going to scold it. We're just called to bless it. We are just going to offer West Portland the hope of blessing found in Jesus Christ. The Missio Day still has a people. And let me talk for just a second about our adjective for this, for this uh, segment of our, of our vision. And our adjective is the word relevant. I want to talk about relevant because sometimes Christians can bristle against this word. And, they think, and I think the, the struggle comes when they get the idea that by being relevant, we are trying to be as much like the world as we possibly can. That we are trying so, so hard to be cool. Friends, let me tell you that cool is not what we are after. If it is, you have the wrong pastor. Just ask my wife. She knew me in high school and she loves to tell the story at parties when we're with friends about how when she first met me, I wore um, regularly acid-washed jeans with pleats and long-sleeved model neck t-shirts or mock neck, mock turtleneck t-shirts. Um, imagine that for a minute. Acid-washed, pleated jeans with long-sleeved t-shirts with mock turtleneck. I try to tell her all the time, but it was in fashion back then. And she says, honey, pleated jeans never have been and never will be ever in fashion. Not cool at all. Here's the point. Our hope is not... Uh, our hope isn't that we want to be relevant because we want to be cool... The hope of the gospel is relevant. Here's why. Because it always meets people where they are. The gospel is relevant because it meets people where they live. Every single time. Think about the time. The, maybe, maybe for you, maybe you're here and you've encountered Jesus and you've, you've, you've understood the good news that God loves you for free, not because of anything you've done, but because of what He did for you. That hope, that good news, that gospel message always meets you where you are, in the midst of a, of a challenge, in the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of the emptiness of the American dream, in the midst of the re realization that no matter how much money you make, there's this hole in your soul that will never be filled apart from God. You see, the gospel always meets you where you are. It's always relevant to where we live in this world. And then it moves us forward from there. That's the hope that we have. It's a relevant hope. It's a, it's a hope that offers food to the hungry and then offers them eternal satisfaction as well. It offers freedom to the captives. It offers encouragement to the downtrodden and rest for the weary. Relevant hope says, the good news of the gospel is for now and for all eternity. Because here's the deal. In Jesus, God's future, His perfect, full, life-abundant, things-made-right future has broken into the present. You want to know what the full, rich, abundant life looks like that, we're in, that we are like headed towards? Just look at Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that we now get to follow. You see, friends, the gospel is never just a future concept disconnected from people's reality. 
It meets us right where we are and offers us the hope of life right now. Of salvation right now from your addictions and struggles and selfishness and sin and for all of eternity with God. It's not just now or then. It's now and then. That's why it's a relevant hope. This is why for that young girl who was caught in sex trafficking, the hope of Jesus that she could be freed and healed and offered a new life is true today and for the rest of time with God as her Lord and Savior. So what does this mean for us, friends? What does it look like to be people of relevant hope, to be people so you know, fueled by God's grace that our lives overflow with relevant hope for the world? I want to talk about this on both a personal and communal level because that's what we've been doing every week here. I'm not sure if you realize that. We've had a, 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 a personal aspect to each, each kind of area and we've also had a communal aspect. First of all, the personal aspect. On a personal level, relevant hope means this. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a follower of Jesus, if His grace is what fuels your soul, then you represent Him Wherever you go. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the early church. One of the most messed up churches in all of history, potentially. He says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And he says, we are therefore, we are therefore the church, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Go and bless all nations, Abraham. And I'm going to bless those nations, or I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless all the nations, what? Through you. Does that sound familiar? God is making his appeal through us. God's mission has a people. You see, you never get the option, if you're a follower of Jesus, of taking a break and saying, I just don't feel like representing Jesus right now. That's not how it works. I don't want to do it. Not with these people, not in this place, not in this moment. I am not in the mood. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, you always represent him. Sometimes you'll do it well. Sometimes you'll do it horribly. But you are always representing him. And so as we move forward to become like Jesus and make him known, we want to be a community that more and more embraces incarnational practices incarnational lifestyles. And that's a big word, but it simply means this. To incarnate means to embody, to to manifest, to reflect or represent someone else to another. Most of the time when we use the word incarnate or incarnational, it's during Christmas because that's what Jesus does, right? You want to know what God's like? You know what, what God looks like? What he acts like? Who God is? Jesus incarnates him. He embodies him for us. We can see... What God is like through Jesus. And now Jesus says, the world will see what I'm like through you. As you incarnate me. As you embody me. As you interact with the world in just the way I would interact with the world. Because you're becoming like me. And so now, we represent Jesus to the world. And we want to grow in this. We want to to increasingly do this well and accurately. Because here's the deal, friends. God's plan for revealing himself, showing himself to the people in your office or in your school or near your locker or around your neighborhood or at your kid's soccer game or even at your family reunion, unfortunately, sometimes, is this. I'm in you. You're the plan. You're the one to show me 
There's not some fancy church program to reach your kid's team. You're going to actually have to embody Christ, incarnate Christ, so that when people look at you, they say, wow, there's something different about you. What is it? And they ask about the hope that you have. But friends, so we, we, we live out the, the gospel as these scattered individuals. The church scatters and goes out into the world. And now God's presence through the Holy Spirit in you is like all throughout our world, all throughout our society. If we will choose to embrace living incarnate lives, living lives that embody and show and reflect Jesus to the world. That's how we do it. So personally, but, but how do we do it together, communally, as a church, as a people, as a congregation? Let me ask you this question. This is the question that I want you to just think about for a second. So don't just yell out an answer. Think about this question. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be part of the church? Like, how do you actually become part of the church? I mean, is it just by showing up? I show up. Sit in the pew. I'm part of the church. I believe in Jesus. I'm part of the church. I believe, I'm in a community group. Maybe I even have a mentor. I'm part of the church. Yes to all those things. All those things are a component of what it means to be the church. However, I would argue that the New Testament tells us that to be the church goes farther. To be the people of God means we must engage the mission of God. Because God has a mission, and He's given His mission a people. See, the New Testament tells us that to be the church is to engage together in the mission of the church, to use your unique gifts and talents and experiences and passions and abilities to partner with other Jesus followers to advance God's mission of offering the hope of full, abundant life blessing to the world. This is a a concept that runs all throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about it over and over and over again, and he calls it the body of Christ. He he uses this image that we are like a body, and a body has many parts, and what he says is this, you are one of the parts. You might be an ear or a foot or a toe or a nose, maybe even a heel, but you are some part of the body. And no one else can be that part but you. Only you. And friends, when a body is all joined together and working together in the right way, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Anyone here watch the Olympics this year? I mean, did you watch some of those athletes run on the track or do flips in the, in the gymna- gymnastics arena or, or swim those laps in the pool? I mean, to watch the human body do its thing all working together is just phenomenal. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a masterpiece. But friends, do you know what doesn't work? When body parts are not working together. When body parts are disconnected, actually, it gets kind of gross, doesn't it? I mean, you think about how beautiful body parts are. Take, you know, your husband or wife's or boyfriend or girlfriend or someone that you care about's eyes. You're like, oh, honey, your eyes, they're so beautiful. They shine and they're gorgeous and they're pretty. Man, you have the most beautiful eyes. What if that eye was just plucked out and just sitting there by itself? (laughs) Just sitting there like, that'd be gross, wouldn't it? You see, when the eye is part of the body, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's marvelous, but as soon as it's separated from the body, it's funk nasty. Isn't it? Or or here's another great example. You'll appreciate this, ladies. Hair. Isn't the hair of your loved one just wonderful? Don't you love their hair? Um, 
You know, you'd touch their hair and stroke their hair and caress their hair and run your fingers through their hair. It's so romantic. Man, isn't hair such a romantic thing on the people that you love? And then that very same hair, one second later, removes itself from the head. And all of a sudden, it is the grossest thing you've ever seen. Right? You're like, you're terrified of it. You want it rinsed down the tub right away. Don't get, get it away from me. What if it gets in my food? You see, when it's connected to the body, it's beautiful. But when it's disconnected, we all know something's not right. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you are not connected to the body, you are not using your unique skills and abilities and gifts and passions and experiences to work together with other Christ followers to advance the mission of God in this world. If that's not what you are, if you're not connected, then friends, something's wrong. I said in the first service, you're gross, but Gabby told me that was a little strong. So, um, you're not gross, you're just ugly. Okay. (laughs) But friends, when you are connected, when you are doing what only you can do with passion and enthusiasm, and, and like you're serving the Lord, our word for that, friends, around here, and it's our vision, is, is ministry. Ministry. And our vision for every single person who calls Cedar Mill their home is that you would be beautifully connected to the body through having a ministry. And here's ministry. Here's what it means. That you are committed to using your unique gifts, talents, experiences, passions, and abilities to partner with other Jesus followers in this church to advance God's mission of offering hope, the hope of full, abundant life blessing to the world. You see, you can just come to church and sit and not be connected You can even volunteer and do some stuff around here. Shoot, you can even serve and like sacrifice to help out around as a part of this congregation. But friends, our vision is that you'd even go a step farther and that you'd have a ministry. That you wouldn't just volunteer to usher, but that you'd have a ministry of ushering. You know this. You've experienced this. It's so different to be greeted at the door by an usher who's just volunteering. And then you're greeted the next Sunday by an usher who has a ministry to usher. Those are radically different experiences. See, our vision is that you wouldn't just help out with middle school, but that you'd have a ministry to middle schoolers and their families. That you wouldn't just sing on the worship team, but that you would have a ministry of helping people worship the living God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. That you would use your gifts, the ones God gave you and only you, as a part of this community to serve the living God and advance His mission in the world. Friends, our vision is that you'd be like Tina Weatherall and Jan Junkin who don't just host at Jesus' table, who don't just volunteer, but who actually pastor little table communities at each and every meal. See, these women put their heart and soul into making relationships with every single person that comes to sit in their table in that gym on Tuesday nights. They call people when they don't show up. They make visits to hospitals. One guest was incarcerated and Jan even started to communicate with him through letters to the jail. Or Carl Lucas, who's no relation to George, but who orders the food and organizes the cooks at the Jesus table. And this is what Doug Marshall, the leader of that ministry, said about Carl. He said, everything he does is behind the scenes. 
He never takes a bow. He's never in the spotlight. Most people don't even know what he does, and yet without his quiet, behind-the-scenes leadership, the Jesus table would fall flat on its face. And hundreds and hundreds of people would miss out on experiencing the tangible love of Jesus through a meal and some community in our facility every Tuesday. Or there's Esther Stone. And I'll say this about Esther, and she's right here in the front row today. I emailed out to the staff and leadership examples of people who, who, who exude not just service, but ministry. And no less than six of our staff people emailed me Esther's name for like six different ministries. And I said, I can't use Esther six times because people will get annoyed with her and obnoxious and will say, she's such a show-off. So we're just going to talk about her once. But this is a woman that's highly committed to serving as a part of the body of Christ and has ministry after ministry after ministry. Here's one of hers. As a part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry, she has led a group of women faithfully for five years. And here's the funny thing about Esther. She went to celebrate recovery, to just offer childcare. That's why she showed up, right? Judy was just telling me this story this week. Um, not intending to be a part of it really in any other way. And then she picked up a brochure and started reading about codependency and she recognized some of those qualities in herself. And so she joined in and now she's becoming like Jesus and making him known both as a participant and a leader in our Celebrate Recovery program. That's Esther. And then there's Susan Scott. You don't know about Susan because she does something really under the radar. She's part of our visitation team. She doesn't just go and visit shut-ins. She builds relationships with women who are no longer able to leave their homes. Deep, connected relationships with several of our widows. Um, John Hamilton said she is just an absolute beautiful display of Jesus to them. Those are his exact words about Susan. And then there's Karen Hunter and Barney, Bonnie Barksdale who devote hours of time to crafting their lessons every week so that our children can hear and learn about Jesus in just the right way as a part of Cedar Mill Kids. And the next generation of Jesus followers can grow up to know him and make him known in our world. Women who just don't volunteer but have a ministry. Or Sarah Fitzgerald who has taken on a group of elementary school boys. And I didn't, by the way, ask anyone's permission to share their name today. Um, not anyone. And I'm not apologizing for that at all. And so here's what Sarah has done. Pastor Paul said it this way. He said, we had a group of elementary school boys who were, and I quote, very rambunctious and learned differently. That was really nice of Paul to put it that way since my son's in that class. Um, But we all know what that means. These are wild and crazy and out of control kids. And Sarah finally stepped in. She was serving once a month and what she finally saw was this. These boys need consistency. They need someone who will be there every week, week in and week out. So she said, I'm going to come. I'm going to take this class every week. And then the year ended and the boys were moving on. And what did Sarah do? She didn't go, whoo, made it through that year. No, she said, you know what? I think God's calling me to move up a grade level with these kids. That's not just volunteering, friends. That's ministry. That's not just checking a box. That's being part of the body of Christ. Or Steve George. Steve's a part of our His ministry. It stands for Hands in Service. Steve is just one of those humble guys who uses his fixer-upper abilities, I guess I would say. That's not a biblical gift, but I think it should be. Um... 
And he uses those gifts for the glory of God. And he helps at church. And he helps with shut-ins. And he helps the underprivileged. And from time to time, he even helps highly deficient pastor types. And he does it, Pastor Ted tells me, with a willing and joyful attitude every single time. And if you know Steve, you know that's true. Or there's Barbara Morris who serves our women's ministry, who quietly and behind the scenes mentors women cares for them, loves them, guides them, leads them, pours herself into them. Or Zach and Elise Rathbone, who work with our middle school students. That's when, that's when the middle school kids are supposed to go like, woo, let's try that again. Let's, no, 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 you have to wait for it. It has to be good timing. Let's try it again. I'm giving you a second chance. Or there's Zach and Elise Rathbone, who work with our middle school students. There it is. There it is. Listen to this, friends. You know the average length of people who work in middle school? Not that long. I don't know what it is, but you have a sense. Zach will be working with middle school ministry for 12 years this spring. He started, he started out helping while he was single. Um, he roped Elise into it. They got married. She started to help. This spring will be eight years for her. They now have three kids. They're raising their kids in this environment, in an environment where they're seeing their mom and dad pour out their lives for other young people. And what they're also showing, they're showing our students what it looks like to grow and serve together as a family. That's called ministry. Or Rich Berry, who's our lead usher. Rich makes sure everything runs smoothly on Sundays. Uh, He has so many roles around here, I do not know what we'd ever do if he left. So pray for Rich's health and his satisfaction with the pastoral team. Um, But he just serves every week, just making sure things go just the way they go. Doesn't need credit, doesn't need a pat on the back. Just does it for the Lord. And then there's Linda Josephson, who along with her daughter Greta has given her gifts and talents of of decorating. She's an interior designer and she's just poured out time after time after time to make our facility look nicer so that we can experience the beauty of God and that guests and visitors can feel welcome here. And there's Rick Johnson, who heads up our prison ministry, who spends time with, with incarcerated and formerly incarcerated men pouring into them, helping them turn their lives around. He goes down to one of our state prisons every single week and teaches seminary. That's time, that's energy that he could be spending doing things for himself, but it's not just serving, it's not just volunteering, it's ministry. Or Don Finkel. And if you know Don, um, he's just one of these guys that faithfully serves every week at the Welcome Center. And you think, wow, the Welcome Center, like, you know, whatever. Who really cares about the Welcome Center? Well, some people care about the Welcome Center because Don helps new people and he looks around for those who maybe need encouragement in the lobby. He truly ministers to folks. One of our staff people said this about Don. When I was relatively new, now this is a staff person, Don saw me struggling and became my personal cheerleader for a time. And all, all in connection with his ministry at the Welcome Center. He is a guy who doesn't just come and hang out at the Welcome Center, but who comes to do ministry and to advance the mission and to offer life and to enhance life and give life. Because why? He knows that he's a part of God's people who've been given to God's mission. And you can live that mission wherever you are, even at the Welcome Center in the lobby of a church. And friends, I could go on and on and on and on about the people in our congregation who have ministry. But the question today is really this. What about you? Do you want to be a part of God's church? Not just come to church, not just kind of be on the peripheral, but really be a part of the body. Do you want to join 
God's mission of blessing in this world, the missio day, the chance to partner with him, to spread the hope that through Jesus, God is fixing and working and redeeming and restoring and setting things back to the way they were created and intended to be now and forever. Friends, if so, if that's you, if you're just a bystander or an onlooker and you're interested in finding a ministry or maybe you're involved somehow but you're really just volunteering, you're serving and you're maybe catalyzed to up that to a ministry and approach it a little differently, if that is you today, well then you're in luck. Because congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places, you're off and away. But you don't go it alone. There is one that I'll send, Jesus says. It's the Holy Spirit of God who will be with you till the end. And friends, the good news is that again, we don't enter into ministry, we don't offer the relevant hope that we've been given in our own strength, or even primarily out of our own giftedness. But the thing that fuels us is God's free love, his free salvation, his free transformation, all the things he pours into me and you for free. And so today, as we consider what it means to be the church and how we might be part of this body, I invite you to come to the tables. Just a meal that we take together where we remember this is not because of how good I am or anything I've done, but all this is offered to me. I get a part to be a part of the mission of God. How? Why? Because Jesus, God himself, taking on the form of a human being, embodying the Lord to us, went to the cross and gave his body and shed his blood that our sins were forgiven and we can be a part of God's mission now and forever. So consider today who you are, where God's calling you, and then come and let him refuel you at the table. Worship team, come on up. Let me pray for us as we move into a time of communion. Jesus, you are amazing. You are bringing blessing to earth that rich, full, abundant life that you long for us to have, that you long to give everyone in this world and all of creation, God. And so we just say, pour it out, pour it out, bring heaven down, bring it down in us and bring it down through us. And remind us, God, that we find the strength to do ministry, the strength to offer hope in a relevant way to this world through your Son. So as we come to the table, God, meet us there. Meet us with your love and grace, and we will give you all the praise. In Christ's name, amen.